Hello, this is your host, Sunita Bagri. I am the founder of the Every Teacher Matters Project. Welcome to the Every Teacher Matters Network podcast. Each podcast has a core focus around the well-being of our teachers, school leaders and educational staff. The Teach Well Alliance works proudly in partnership with the Every Teacher Matters Network to raise awareness of well-being and mental health for our teachers and school staff. We're so pleased that you're able to join us on today's podcast. Hello and welcome to the Every Teacher Matters Network podcast. On this show, we talk all about teacher well-being. Well, referring to an article written recently by the TES last month, outlining how a brief burst of exercise can boost teachers' well-being article describes dancing to a rock classic, which works. It goes on to explaining about how small changes in physical activity lead to big gains in creative thinking. Well, I definitely have a mental image of my guest today jumping up and down, loosening up and getting into the zone with a bit of rock music. It is a privilege for me to welcome Phil Sharrick, who is himself a former head teacher, described by Ofsted as inspirational, which I have absolutely no doubt. Phil is someone who I hold personally in very high regard. He is genuinely one of the kindest, most sincere and positively outspoken individuals anyone is likely to meet. Welcome, Phil, to the Every Teacher Matters podcast. Oh, Sunita, I'm, I'm deeply, just keep it coming, please. I'm just <laughs> bathing in this awe of, 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 of self-righteousness at the moment. I think how wonderful is that? Oh, dear. Yes. I, do, I <laughs> do mean it. I do mean it. Since, you know, you, you are, um, you have such amazing social media presence. You are so kind. I, I just, you know, I, I could go on and on, but, you know, I genuinely mean that. And I, and I want the listeners to know that if you need someone that's going to cheer you up, someone that's going to inspire you, someone that's going to motivate you to find your why and why you're doing what you're doing and where you should be going and how you should be doing it, look no further. Look him up. Um, at the end of the show, we'll ask Phil to share his social media handles because you really, really do want to follow this guy. You'll be calling me the second Simon Sinek next. (laughs) Wow. Not not long to go. Not long to go, Phil. (laughs) I like Simon. He's awesome, isn't he? He's He's very, very good. Yeah. He's a great guy. He looks at it the right way. He's made me question a few things about myself. And so I thought, yeah, I am thinking about this the wrong way. I need to flip my thinking on that sort of thing. And it's, um, yeah, it's, it's, it's helped me. It's helped me with my kids as, as a dad, you know, that, that's, that, that's, that's a good, th- and, and that's a good thing because we're, we're always learning and, and, and that's the, that's the main thing to keep taking on board. Don't think you know it all because you don't. Absolutely. <laughs> Phil, t- tell the listeners, I, I, you know, we've, we've chatted off air just now um, and we've had a good catch up. We've sort of put the world to rights. We've, Absolutely. we've got, we've, we've got a future career plan together, you know, <laughs> all sorts, but for the purpose of the listeners, Tell them all about you. Uh, uh, right, I graduated in '96 from from North Wales um, and uh, came to Birmingham. Um, it was interesting, really, because it was the first 
area that I sort of applied for. I'm originally from Lancashire and, and I sent out 31 application forms down the M6 corridor from Birmingham in the south all the way up to Lancashire, which is, you know, from, from Accrington. I'm an Accrington lad. Um, so 31 applications all the way up and down the country. And I got a job in Birmingham in February of my final year. So it was, it was incredible, really. I'd, I'd landed a job. I was all done and dusted and everything before I'd even got my finals done. So I was, it, was, it was a result, really. I was sat back um, thoroughly enjoying my final year in school, I, in, in uni, because I was well and truly sorted. And everybody else was flapping around like a, an idiot trying to find a job. So, yeah, you know, I then filled out 30 other applications that I never had any need to do because it was the first one that got me a job. So, yeah, I started, I started in Birmingham. Um, I was there. Um, and jumped around a few schools, sort of moved every three years. So I moved up the and, and moved up the ladder as I kept moving along. And eventually, in about 2012, and it would have been a lot, lot sooner. I would have gone a lot, lot sooner to headship, other than um, some personal circumstances which held my career for about five, six years. Um, 2012 became a head teacher um, and and did it for about eight years until last last couple of years, really. And when I've decided to sort of step away from it, I, I fixed schools in difficulty. And I should say difficulty because every school I went into was either in special measures or it was going into special measures. So that's what I did. That's what I enjoyed doing. Um, and, and that's where my sort of knowledge and expertise comes from. Um, I have a sister-in-law who's the head teacher of an outstanding school. Um, I don't know how she does it because she couldn't do what I did but I can't do what she does. She gets good schools and gets them to outstanding. I've got no idea how that happens. Um, but what I do know is how to get a not so good school up to, up to good and nice and solid and in a really good place. So then it can go on and find the right head to take it up to somewhere where it's judged outstanding for whatever that means from that, from that bunch of people. So, so I'm, I'm really interested Phil in, um, you know, what you do because I was in a similar situation to, to yourself. Um, led a quite a few schools in some very difficult circumstances and it does require a real a really sort of a, a specific style of leadership mm. where you've got to take the school which means the entire community it means you know that the, the children ultimately the standards just as importantly the staff and you've got to do it in a really short space of time Sure. And I know from your posts, I know, I know you know, we, we've sort of uh, be, been in conferences together. I know and get a good idea of the type of person you are and how you treat your staff and how you would expect to treat your colleagues. But that's a very difficult thing to do in the context of an inadequate school when you've got those, you know, those competing tensions and clear, uh, you know, account high stakes accountability to tell the listeners how you managed your staff teams. It's interesting you say it's a difficult thing because if, if I've ever gone into a school, morale is low, people are really struggling, they don't believe in themselves, they've got no trust in the system, they think it's out to get them, they're all frightened, they're all going to lose their job. I'm, I'm going I'm to put my, pillow, put my nail to the cross here and say basically it's because of poor leadership prior to me. It's always bad leadership. Whatever happens within the school, you can trace it back to poor leadership and management. End of. That's, that's not a negotiable as far as I'm concerned. So every school that I've gone into, I've gone into after somebody who's not been a very good boss. Their doors have been shut. The answer is no. It's do as you're told. It's autonomous leadership coming from top down. So basically, the head tells them what to do. They follow that blindly. 
do as you're told and everything will be all right. Right. And then the school gets caught out. What a surprise. Right. Um, and by the way, I've never got any problem with Ofsted. I've never had a problem with an Ofsted inspection in my life or an Ofsted inspection team. I actually find that they're very good and competent professionals who listen to you. As long as you know what you're talking about and you know your school, they'll be absolutely fine. What's the problem? So it's, it's not a difficult thing when you come in and you say to everybody, uh, um, you know, right. A lot of the time, the staff don't understand where the school is. They think everything's okay. They think everything's all right because they've been doing as they're told. When actually you can show them things and, and, and help them understand where they are in the bigger picture of things. And they think, actually, it's rubbish. And we need to change. Mm. And you've got permission to change. Yeah. By the way, whatever, what, what, let's ask the question. Let's give some power to you guys. Because as a head teacher, I've always recognized that I'm the second most important person in the building. Right? The most important adults are the staff. Because they're the ones who are dealing with the children day in, day out. I'm in my ivory tower in my office, thanks very much, juggling 27,000 different scenarios. But it's my job. I always, I always saw it very, very simply that it's my job to empower them to do their job. Yeah. That's what matters. Now, as a, son of a, as a son of a chartered accountant, I had, the, I had the great joy of being able to read a balance sheet and a profit and loss account when I was about eight years old. And I could understand it, which is a bit sad. Easiest oil level I ever did, by the way. But that's, that's a different story. So I, when, I, when I became a head teacher, I, I sort of, you know, you, you've got to balance that budget. And you sort of, you know, you never get the chance to look at the budget when you're a deputy because that's the head teacher's baby. And that's one thing that I learned to never, I'd always made sure my deputies knew the budget and then they were empowered and ready to go. But when I, when I looked and I sort of thought, yeah, look at this, 70, 80% of my budget is disappearing on staff. You know, before I even start, you know, I'm, I'm losing three quarters of my money, really, on these on these fabulous people. And and I, and I sort of thought, why on earth? It's, it's simple economics, really. It's why on earth wouldn't you look after that? Why won't you make them feel so special, wonderful, terrific, happy, joyful so that they can teach every day? Now, you do that. They deliver for you. My, and I can only and I can only emphasize, look, if you if you like high stakes accountability, which is what the system is, isn't it? We went from the bottom three percent of schools in the country to the 50th percentile in two years. We went from the bottom 20 percent of schools in the country in terms of progress to the top 15 in just under two years. I make a big thing of saying Ofsted, oh, we did it in 15 months. It would have been 12 if Ofsted had got their arse in gear and come back and, you know, but it took them six months to actually come and sign it off. We knew we were, and anyway, I digress. Not that I'm vindictive, but it's, it, it's that well-being and, and making them feel empowered, trusting them to do what is right for the children and giving them that message that there is no fear of failure, that there is no fear of getting something wrong, about supporting them as they are going through that journey quickly you know, enabling them to make decisions for themselves in their classrooms and supporting them in that. That is what, and when they feel that autonomy, when they feel empowered and not frightened because the system is full of fear, once you can, as their boss, my job, I was always, I always felt like my job was to protect them from everything else that was going on inside. Their job is in that classroom. Do your job. And do your job as best you can possibly do it. You'll all have an off day. I get that. We all have things going on in our lives. But, but do your job and do your job. Your job, when you come through that gate in the morning, and I don't want to hear about what's going on out there, you're there for those children. You stay focused on those children. If you've got problems outside there, tell me, and then I can help you. Yeah. So it was, it was very much supporting them, empowering them, giving them the tools, the resources, the time 
to make sure that they could do what they do. Now, I was a great believer. Um, in, in, I'm a great believer in, in the work of a guy called W. Edwards Deming. He's uh, uh, an American statistician who is absolutely revered out in Japan. And it's a, a fabulous story because the Deming Award out in Japan is, is the, it's like winning the Oscars in the acting sort of category. The Deming Award in Japan is, is, is the award. And it's really interesting that the Americans dropped two nuclear bombs on Japan in the Second World War. And after Japan sort of recovered, five years later, they turned around and asked an American to come in and help them rebuild the country. And Deming went and, and, and started to teach them about his key principles. He's got 15 key principles, which are absolutely fascinating. And I, I, I would encourage everybody to so go look up about it. It's called Total Quality Management. You'll have heard of it. It's, it, it's Kaizen, really. And he was the founder of it, and he was the one that started it. But the, the rule that has always, always stuck in my heart, has always been there, is that four out of five times, if you look at Japanese society, and if you look at the way that Japan works, he was a businessman more than school. But as a business, he, he said four out of five times um, when something goes wrong, it is the system that's at fault. The fifth time, it's human beings. Now, we're all human. To err is human. We all make mistakes. And Lord knows I've made enough mistakes in my life. So that, that's true. But four out of five times, it's the system. So when I, when I became a head teacher, I, 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 I was a bit obsessive, I suppose, about looking at the systems that went on in schools. So I was, I was, I, I, I was nonstop about improving systems for teachers so that they could do their job. So when I did, I would go in and I would look at PPA. This is a classic example, PPA. Somebody far more intelligent and clever than me came up with the fact that, you know, they needed 10% of their time to do their, all their planning, prep and assessment. But every school that I ever went into, they'd never do all that. They'd be halfway through a literacy form or a maths form. That's all they do, plan. They'd just be filling in tick boxes and huge planning form formers, pro formers for, for some sort of accountability system that I don't know what exists because Ofsted, Ofsted have never actually like, ever looked at planning, ever. So who the hell is it for? Some middle manager who needs to tick a box to say, oh, aren't I doing my job? No, nonsense. So you've got to look at those systems. And I, and I made sure that PPA was, was absolutely slashed back so that when they, did, when they had that 10% of their time, um, it, and, and it, they could do their planning, they could do their prep, and they could do their assessment, all of it, in very simplistic formats. Now, initially, when you get a school in measures, you need some sort of stability for everybody. So everybody, we, would, we would develop together, not me telling them, we would develop together a very, very simple planning pro forma, and I would insist that it would be no longer than three pages in literacy, three in maths. Now, once we got into the swing of it and I could see that the delivery was going on really well and things were really improving, my best teachers handed in one side of A4 written every week for the week that they had just done. I always found it, find it fascinating that I can walk into a school on Tuesday, see somebody doing their PPA in the afternoon and they're planning for next week. And I sort of think, how the hell do you know what they're going to learn this week? This is just stupid. All you're doing is lifting it from a... Really performer from last year. Don't be so it's, it's unbelievably bonkers. So I would, my planning was only handed in retrospectively for the week that it had done. So Friday afternoon, everybody finished school, kids would all clear off home. Then everybody would scan their planning and stick it on the system. Thanks very much. And they planned Monday and perhaps Tuesday so that they knew what they were going to pick up because they knew where the kids were. Yeah, so planning 
it was absolutely fascinating, isn't it, Sunita? Though my best teachers did one side of A4 plan, one side of A4 written planning. Best mm -hmm. teachers. My, I shouldn't say worst, but my teachers who needed the most help were the ones who handed in nine sides of literacy, nine sides of maths, and 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 were really blinkered on it because they they needed that planning. I don't know why. I don't, I don't know why. Um, so I needed to retrain them and help them. Marking went out the window. These these 26 different pens with highlighters and feedbacks and all these different, you know, don't mark in red because it will emotionally hurt the children, oh, for God's sake. You know, all these sort of fads that have come in went out the window. Marking became clear, succinct, short, and easily and immediately fed back. You cannot write a sentence and a half in a book for a, a year one or a year two child. They can't remember what they did three hours ago. Never mind what they've got to do the following day. It's nonsense. So marking became feedback quickly. You know, I shut the school early. You know, I opened it up later because I often, you know, the school opened at seven o'clock in the morning and from Monday to Thursday, it was shut at six. And that meant you're not clearing up at six. It means you're off the site at six. I often thought if you can't do your job in 55 hours, then you've got a problem. I hated, I hated my staff working evenings. I hated them working at the weekend. I needed them to be a hundred percent for those 25 hours that those children were in that classroom. So I did everything that I could to make sure that they were in top spec order themselves in their own well-being and the way that they could come to school every day so they could deliver. Right. So opening and close at Friday, the school was shut at five. Go home, drink wine, get away from it, forget it. My, my philosophy was, if you, you, know, you get it finished for five o'clock, don't waste time in school, crack on, be efficient, be effective, get it done. Now, there were those with younger children who needed to work around that. And of course, I understood that I can't do everything. But I did everything that I possibly could to make sure that from the moment that those people came into school to the moment that they went home, they worked hard, they worked flat out, you know, they needed to do what they had to do. And once a year when reports needed writing, that maybe caught us out and we all had to do a bit more. But it is a profession and you've got to do what needs to be done. But assessments were all done in the working day. Everything else was done in the working day so that we could go home on a Friday night and think, right, I'm on two days off. Yeah. And that's it. End off. Nobody worked through the holidays. If they did, I'd go mad at them because it, 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 to, for whose benefit? If yeah. you're trying to justify yourself to your boss, you're not going about it the right way because you're just peeving him off because I want you to have a rest. I want you to, it's the one perk, isn't it? Absolutely. Why on earth would you take it? Mm -hmm. So take the holidays and do with it as mm -hmm. you will. As long as you come back on that Monday, that first day back, ready, you're prepped, you're delivering. What's what the problem? Else? Yeah, what else? So, so every, everything that you've said so far, Phil, is all, a, you know, built on the premise of trusting relationships. Yeah, absolutely. And, and it's not rocket science, is it? No. I mean, everybody thinks that, you know, a school that's inadequate, oh, you've got to clear out the staff and fire them. And I'm afraid some mats and trusts do that. That's, that's a sad state of affairs. But you know what? I've, I've, in all my years of, of taking over schools that were in an inadequate category or definitely there, they might not have had that badge, but they were definitely there. Um, I've only ever, uh, I've had about three walk on me, three members of staff walk on me, and I've needed to go into capability twice. And that's simply because they refused, you know, they, one, they refused. So it was either disciplinary or they couldn't hack it and it was capability. And they, and, and I'm sad to say it was that because they thought that one of them was an early years teacher and they thought that 14% good level of development was absolutely fine. Oh. It was just like, 
and it didn't matter what I said, it didn't matter what I did. The, the kids weren't capable of coming to an assembly because it would mean walking them down the stairs. It would, they, they don't write in reception until the summer term. <laughs> mm. So no matter how much I tried to support this member of staff, it wouldn't yeah. happen. Yeah. But, no, but that, that's, that's one out of two examples that I had to take down that procedure. Everybody else stayed put. And yeah. by the way, it's the same staff that were there that when it was inadequate, when it was good. Yeah, yeah, I find it's that. Same people. I find that the case, yeah. Yeah, it's how they're led. It's how they're, right. it's how they're motivated. My staff room looked like a costa. It didn't, have, it didn't have chairs in it that lined up side by side in squares. Don't be ridiculous. It had sofas. It had bar stools. It had a coffee machine. It had everything free for them so staff could have a drink in there and, and relax. Full of 80-inch TV screen on the wall. And it was a place of relaxation away from children. You know, it was very much the, the staff came first and their well-being came first. I'd have, I'd have a member of staff, John, wonderful maths coordinator, great guy, year six. He, his his daughter was going into reception, not my school, but he, his daughter was going into reception for the staff. And he, and he sort of mentioned it, you know, on the week before we, we started. And I said, what are you going on? Are you taking her, aren't you? And he said, can I? And I said, John, it's one day in her life Absolutely. that you get to take her to school. It's her first day. You must go. Do you know what? I'll handle your year six class for half an hour before you get back. Yeah. I'll say hello. I'll welcome them and I'll do what we need to do yeah. until you turn up. And, and you do that kind of, that's, it's a bit of a token gesture, but, but you do that for their members of staff and they're eternally grateful. It's not just yeah. that. It's not just that. They take it with them when they move on. And yeah. he went from being a maths coordinator to an assistant head. Yeah. So he takes those principles of well-being yeah. with him that's to right. impact on staff as he moves up. And he'll remember that. He might not be able, to, he might not have the authority to do it for the next five, six years until he makes head. Mm -hmm. But I know that John will probably be a head teacher now and he will be making those decisions based on what's right for his staff. You know, it, it, it's about making sure and trusting the people so that he very kindly mentioned at the beginning that Ofsted said I was inspirational, which is lovely. But the thing that I said to my staff in every staff meeting is how do you inspire the kids? Because when you've got everybody from the bottom up, I sit in my ivory tower up here, right? But if everybody at the bottom, down to, down to the cleaners and the TAs and everybody who's in that pyramid of authority, whatever you want to call it, if they're inspiring, then you've got a hundred leaders in a school. Absolutely. And when everybody leads, that's how you get a school moving quickly. Not by top down, but yeah. by bottom up. Oh, and by the way, my only rule was that it had to be fun yeah. because if, it, if the staff weren't having fun, how on earth do you expect kids to have fun? Yeah. Yeah. So if, you know, my curriculum design was all about fun. We threw out the national curriculum, which is the most <laughs> racial document that we have in this country. I, my staff were absolutely focused on it and it was going, okay, we're going to put that in a bin and we're going to ignore it. Now we're going to design a curriculum for what our children need. Oh, and bizarrely, when Ofsted and everybody comes in, how on earth can they criticise you when you're doing what the children need? Yeah. So you design that curriculum, and then the last thing that you actually do is you've got a national curriculum, make sure you covered it. And, oh, you know what? 99% of the time you add. It was just like, oh, my, we, we might need to find a bit more of materials and their properties in year five. That'll fit in there, you know. So, but 99% of the time, by taking ownership over what we were delivering, instead of boughting, sodding schemes of work, we might follow, we might have followed letters and sounds, all right. 
So they, they followed letters and sounds. But what about the kids who don't get letters and sounds? What about the ones who don't understand it, who don't like it? I think, you know, it's like Read, Write, Ink. I think it's the most boring thing. So Ros Wilson has made a sodding fortune out of boring a thousand children. <laughs> Thousands of children. It drives me insane. I hope you don't know her. But the point is, it's just, it's so standardized across the board. I get it. I get it. I know it works, but it works for who? A school to pass a test and pass a spag test and all that sort of thing. And that is where I have a fundamental issue with where we are as, as a society, teaching our children, you know, what a goddamn fronted adverbial is when they're eight years old. And, you know, it's a nonsense. It's an absolute nonsense. Hopefully some parents will be realising that kind of nonsense with what they're having to do at this moment in time. So yeah. once, once we've... Once I've supported my staff, I'm honest with them, you know, and they're honest with me. They were great. They were, you know, I would make it very clear. If I walk down a corridor and I miss something like tissue that's on the floor, you've got to yell at me and say, oi, you know, and, and, and believe me, they would. I had some very good um, senior leaders who would come into my office occasionally and say, you are in such a bad mood. Will you bugger off home and work from home today? <laughs> that's I'd good go though, isn't it? Oh yeah, absolutely. And, brilliant. And, and, and on two occasions, I actually did go home because I thought, yeah, I can't, I can't mm. shake this bad mood. I don't know what mm. it is, mm. but as the head, I was failing to recognize that my bad mood was having an effect on everybody in the building. Yeah. Yeah. So I needed, yeah. I just said, I'm going home. But and, what, a, what a lovely example of actually having, um, you know, you know that Steve and I support lots of schools and head teachers. And, and what we find when we're looking at changing a culture of well-being in a school is it's that relationship that you just described there where the transparency between you, your SLT is such that they're looking after you. Yeah. That, yeah. That, that's where it works. That's why everything that you're saying is all speaking volumes about implementing a culture of well-being yeah. and actually you know it, with the head teachers that I'm working with at present the ones that are really really struggling are the ones that don't understand how to implement a culture those that are thriving even in these you know we, we have there's a lot of doom and gloom stories isn't there right now with COVID and yeah, I'm not taking that away because that's the truth and and that's what everyone's dealing with in schools but I mean, I, I sort of coach uh, a number of groups of head teachers on a weekly basis. And the heads that I've worked with over the last couple of weeks are all talking about what you've just described there. Yeah. In fact, that their teams are looking after them. And there's this environment of mutual trust based on the premise of those rich relationships and the investment that they've made, which is now paying dividends in this yeah. time of need. Yeah. I mean, regardless of mainstream media and its knocking of the profession and saying how awful it is, I actually think, you know, um, I, th I think we're seeing the best of teachers at this moment in time. And the I team, totally agree. They've been, their worlds have been turned upside down, but yet yes. they're coming together and delivering under incredibly difficult, extenuating mm. circumstances with a, with a department of education that does nothing to support them. Nothing. Right. Just creates confusion and chaos. You know, you know, we're not doing exams, but we are, but we're going to do it by the back door. And it's just like, will you please just go away, Gavin? And, you know, the one thing I, I, I like about Gavin Williamson is, is that he's so bad. As <laughs> he, he has, he's the only education secretary who's actually brought the profession together in his hatred. You know, uh, you know, so, it, you know, it's, it's a fascinating 
um, dialogue. But you, that, had, that you had me on tenter hooks then. I was like, what's he going to say? That's good advice from Gavin Williams. Oh, he's brought the profession together in his nature <laughs> of the department. Oh. And with luck, that, that cohesiveness of, of, of anger towards the department will create longer lasting facilitated change in education. Because I think we can all see that it's not right now. This, this production line of exam passes and holding schools against each other in league tables. I hope we get our act together. I really do as a profession. I don't think we will, but I really hope we do. But it's that spirit of collaboration and in the way that we've come together um, is one of the things that I, I, felt, I felt incredibly passionate about in, in terms of working with other schools. I didn't do it all internally because I didn't have the knowledge and, and skills internally. But for example, I had a member of staff who'd been with me, who'd gone from school, college, university, back into a primary school. She'd been there for 24 years, right? There's nothing wrong with her. She was just institutionalized. So I've got, got a great colleague who was in the next school down the road who I was working with and supporting. And he was, he was great at maths. So we were pinching his stuff and we were swapping stuff around. And I sent him down to her. Uh, I sent my member of staff in year four. I said, I've got this problem. I said, can she come and teach at your school for a term? I'll pay. Don't worry about it. Go. And he said, oh, I've got one of them. <laughs> I said, let's do a swap. Brilliant. Mm. So we swapped staff for a term. Now, the member of staff hated me for it. Hated me. But a term later, she came back and she said, thank you, it's the best thing that I've ever done. And it's because she was just scared of change and scared of change of routine and, and everything else. But by going to another school for a term, with the safety of knowing that you're coming back, mm. I want you here, mm. you know, you're not going, you, you're coming here. You go, I want you back. I just want you to go somewhere else and have a bit of refreshing. And by doing that, we started off, we started off a bit of a thing with about four or five schools that were close to me. And as, a, and as we developed that relationship in terms of collaboration and knowledge and skills, they would come up as, as a bunch of forehead teachers. And they did what we call, um, they sort of offsteaded me, um, but, but in a collaborative way, in a way that supported us. So I'd sit there with my piece of paper and I'd sort of go, this is what I think. And I'm not going to show you till the end of the day. Get on with it. So, you know, they would go around and do an Ofsted, they'd observe, they'd do whatever they, you know, an Ofsted inspector do. And they came back at the end of the day and they went, we think this, 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 this. And I went, thank God for that, because that's exactly what I think. So how are, we gonna, how are you going to help me? And they said, well, we'll give you this, we'll give you this, we'll give you this, we'll give you this. And, and so by doing that, it, it all came together. So by working collaboratively, by not being afraid of making a mistake, by supporting everybody when it when it horrendously went wrong, I'd walk in, have a really good laugh and sort of go, what have you learned? And they'll go, well, I'm not doing that again. And I said, no, what have you learned? And they say, okay, I'll do it this way, this way, this way, this way next time. Brilliant, do it. And then the second time, only a couple of things would go wrong. And then by the third time, they were brilliant at it. So we, you know, and we would be not scared to get right away from curriculum, buying scrap cars and get the kids who would behavior problems, fixing it up instead of sitting in there learning what fronted adverbials were getting them out and, and doing things that they enjoyed. Trips galore, because I worked in inner city, high proportion EAL schools with high socioeconomic deprivation. So for God's sake, get them out on trips. 12 times a year, gone, out of the building. And base your work around that. So it was, it was about making it fun, making it enjoyable and having a really good time. And if, you know, and, and, and I would always say to my staff, if, if, you know, if you're not having fun, if you think this is fun, great because you're going to inspire your kids. Absolutely. You know, same with the DA, same with everybody else. Brilliant. 
such a rich tapestry of examples of well-being there phil i'm 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 buzzing i'm buzzing so i know that the listeners will be phil just to finish our conversation today um can you give us some examples of um you know you've you've got such a huge wealth of experience and you as an as a leader have as i've mentioned already implemented a culture of well-being through trust in relationships but what would your advice advice be to um a, a teacher who's going through a through a difficult time i mean in fact off air you you spoke about um you know a teacher that you've been uh, liaison with on social media giving some examples to you you might want to touch on that but what I'd really like is some well-being advice for teachers Ge general well-being advice some of those examples from your own you know your own teaching days what would you do differently if you were back in the classroom now what what would serve our our colleagues well three things that I, 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 I had a I, I love think about this but and, and and the first thing that i i came up with is uh find a great boss okay people don't leave bad jobs they leave bad bosses okay so find a great boss a boss that is on the same values driven wavelength that you are okay i'd find a school that has a culture of well-being that is built into it not tokenism not somebody who says oh yeah if you're the best member of staff this term you'll win a teabag rubbish you need so you need to find a school when you go and look at schools and you have a look around them you know make sure that you're asking the key questions not about ppa and all that kind of nonsense really get into the culture and the values of that school okay i, I never interviewed staff because i felt that the hr process was just a flaming box ticking process i let my deputies and my people who were going to work with that member of staff you know decide who was going to i i would have a half hour chat with them with a cup of tea and a water you know we'd go down to costa and have a chat for half an hour that's what i wanted to know where i really got to know them you know because the hr process was so erroneous and such a such a non-human thing i just thought somebody else got through that. i've got better things to do than that sort of nonsense you know so i'd let I'd let other people so if i was hiring an nqt my staff would hire the nqt so we'd get about five of them in and they'd all spend all day in school going around and, and moving them around the school in a, in a rotation. Then we come together at a staff meeting at the end of the day and I said, who do you want? They don't work with me, they work with you. Who do you want? You know, and they would go, we want this one. You know, and then they'd have a discussion for about half an hour. Well, first time I did it, it's hard. <laughs> but when you do it the second time, the third time, they're right into it and they know who's going to fit in best with them. Who's going to be the one that can add to it? Who's going to be the one that can take this culture of fun and excitement further and further? Yeah. So find a school with the right culture, find that great boss. And, and, and with a word of warning, they're, they're out there, but you've got to look for them because they're not in the majority. They are in the minority. In, 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 I, have, I have to say, be honest and say, you know, there are too many that are not inspirational. There are too many who are quite frankly, too fearful of doing anything that is right for their staff or their children. They're just, buried in their fear of the accountability system so find that great boss find a great school and, and always remember this it's a job nothing more nothing less it's an important fabulous the best job in the world i'm so privileged to have been a teacher for so many years but it's a job 
and you know there's that old saying you know we we, we live to uh, we work to live don't we we don't live to work you know and that's an important thing to remember but it is it, it's a fabulous job but it's just a job your family are more important your kids are more important yeah you know and when it comes to the saturday you know you know the fridays and the saturdays have things to get away from it forget it for me somebody kicked a rugby ball up in the air on a saturday afternoon and i went chasing after it and for 80 minutes i completely forgot about it. i forgot tell you what when somebody's six foot four coming at you and think i'm going to run over your head that sort of switches you you're not really thinking about balance sheets and thinking i must do my performance management on that member you're not really thinking about that at that moment in time. and that's really important i'd jump on my motorbike i'd go for a ride i would i would switch off and watch a game of rugby or something on the on the tv and just zone out from everything that I was responsible for because it is so, so important. When I was, I was, up, I was head of a school up in Jewsbury and as I was leaving, the new head teacher was coming in. He was 31. He'd been a deputy for one year. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Right. And the first thing, you know, he was a semi-professional rugby league player. Um, and, and, and he, and he, and he, and one of the first conversations that we had was that he says, I'm, I'm stopping playing rugby league. And I just went, are you, no, that's the first thing that you carry on. Yeah, you might not carry on with it at a semi-professional level, but you drop down a league of three and you go and have a run out on a Saturday afternoon. Don't you dare stop. Yeah. Don't. You that's are fine. absolutely so ridiculously foolish if you think that you've got to work through the weekends to keep your school going. You don't. You absolutely don't. The problem with our you know, system is that we've got too many people in this system who think that you've got to work 80, 90, 100 hour weeks. That's a load of rubbish. I saw a wonderful post on online um, on, on LinkedIn a couple of days ago from uh, from Sally Fox, who said, I'm a head teacher, but at the weekend, I'm mom. Yeah, I'm, I saw that I, post. Yeah, and, and, I, and, I, and I absolutely went with Sally. Yeah. And I did, yeah, absolutely, that's how I did it. And that's how it should be. Because yeah, when I walk out of that building, you know, when I walked out in the evening at six o'clock, because I was generally first there at seven. I was generally last to go. I also had the worst car on the car park, I'll have you know. I wasn't sticking it up their nose by turning up in a brand new BMW. You don't drive a brand new BMW, do you? No. Anyway, but I was the head teacher who turned up on a motorbike, so I was, I was the coolest head teacher in the district anyway. But once, I was, once I'd ridden out of those gates on the way home, that was it. I wasn't going to do any more. So organize yourself to get away from it. So that, yeah, when you're there, you give it 100%. But when you're away from it, it's forgotten and you're doing something different. Find a great boss, find a great school that's got the right culture, and get away from it. Remember, it's just a job, and get away from it. And be a human being first. Do that, you'll be a great teacher. That is great advice for anybody listening at whatever level they are working at, yeah. but you are absolutely right. Golden advice from, from someone who's been there, done that, won the T-shirt many, many times. Phil, Please share your social media handles with the listeners. Ooh, um, on, on, on link, you can find me on LinkedIn, uh, Phil Sharrock. Um, it's at Phil Sharrock on Twitter. Uh, Facebook, it's Phil Sharrock. What have I missed? Instagram, oh. Phil Sharrock. You, you look up Phil Sharrock, you'll find me. There you go. Around. There uh, you go, folks. There you go. Um, you'll definitely want to follow this guy. As I said right at the beginning, he really is a, a, an inspirational individual and somebody, if you're in education, that you really want to be connected with. Phil, thank you so much. It's been an absolute pleasure to have a candid conversation with you. It's been uplifting and I know that you will have inspired many of our listeners today. Thank, thank you. you, Sunita. And you, and you keep doing what you're doing because it's, it's so needed. 
so so needed as particularly in today's um bizarre times and and it's going to be needed even more as we move on indeed indeed thank you for your support thank you ever so much phil My pleasure.